With great data comes even greater access latency. This is the Trino Community Broadcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Olson. And co-hosting again, Manfred Moser today. And today we have uh, two wonderful guests that are joining us from the Pino community. Welcome, Zhang, and welcome, Elon. Hi, uh, this is Chow. So uh, I'm a Pino uh, committer and uh, glad to be joined here. And, uh, Hi, my name. Go my ahead. name's Elon, and uh, I'm a software engineer. I used to work on the Presto team at Facebook and left to join a stealth mode startup and work with both Pino and Trino. Awesome. Thanks for uh, coming, you guys. And uh, uh, just wanted to quickly uh, 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 go over what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about Pino, uh, and uh, we'll get into what exactly that is for those that don't know. Uh, you know, a lot of folks on here are coming from like Trino, and so uh, maybe don't aren't quite familiar. Maybe you've seen it in passing because it's just one of the connectors that we've we've added in the last uh, was it year? It's almost been a year now, right? Since since we added the Pino connector. Is that yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. So uh, anyways, uh, so we'll be going into that and uh, covering a couple of things. First, I'd like to uh, have a quick word from the sponsor Starburst, and uh, we'll be back right after that. And quick note on this. This is a, uh, a new thing I'm trying. Uh, we, we have a kind of a more professional video, and I'm going to try to get some feedback from some of the audience to see if they like this or if they want me to make a video that we like we had before where I just sat there and talked about some of the things that Starburst offers. So, uh, are you saying you're not a professional, Brian? Come I'm on. not at all. In fact, I think that's kind of why they hired me. I don't know. <laughs> so, let's see. Let's see if we we uh, can can bring in the professional aspect and see if folks like this more than the me just sitting there talking to a mic. We'll see. The explosion of data sources has forced organizations to modernize their systems and architecture, and come to terms with one size does not fit all for data management. Today, your teams are constantly moving and copying data, which requires time, management, and in some cases, double paying for compute resources. Instead, what if you could access all your data anywhere using the BI tools and SQL skills your users already have? And what if this also included enterprise security and fast performance? With Starburst Enterprise, you can provide your data consumers with a single point of secure access to all of your data, no matter where it lives. With features like strict fine-grained access control, end-to-end -end data encryption, and data masking, Starburst meets the security standards of the largest companies. Starburst Enterprise can easily be deployed anywhere and managed with insights, where data teams holistically view their cluster's operation and query execution so they can reach meaningful business decisions faster. All this with the support of the largest team of Trino experts in the world, delivering fully tested, stable releases and available to support you 24-7. To unlock the value in all of your data, you need a solution that easily fits with what you have today and can adapt to your architecture tomorrow. Starburst Enterprise gives you the fastest path from big data to better decisions, because your team can't afford to wait. Trino was created to empower analytics anywhere, and Starburst Enterprise was created to give you the enterprise-grade performance, connectivity, security, management, and support your company needs. Organizations like Zalando, Comcast, and Finra rely on Starburst to move their businesses forward. Contact us to get started. All right. 
So I don't know. I'm, let, let me know uh, what you all think of that. If, if you're more for the, you know, kind of casual me just spouting off what the differences are versus something like that. Um, anyways, because that's probably what you'll be hearing in the beginning of these shows for, you know, I don't know how, how long we'll do this. I, there's probably plenty of shows and plenty of ground to cover with Trino. So it's going to be a long time. <laughs> so let me know what you, what you all think, if it's going to be uh, uh, what's, what's the uh, more interesting thing to hear. Um, with that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on to, uh, the release, uh, Manfred, do you want to, uh, spot us up? Let me pull us into, uh, the code scene here and, uh, yeah. So the first problem with the release starts with the, what release are we even going to talk about? Because, <laughs> because we talked about the 353 release as an emergency release kind of twice. And it turns out that now we are just about to pump out the 354 release yep. in the next days or so. But today we're going to focus around uh, 353 and then next time we'll talk about 354 when it's actually released, not yep. like last time. Yeah. So again, recapturing a little bit what happened. Um, there was a little correctness bug that we thought we should kind of release for ultimately really fast. Didn't turn out that fast. And then the release 353 ended up being pretty big in the end as well, right? Like, yep. Probably Brian celebrated the most last time having a new connector, obviously, right? Like, tick, another one. Yep. <laughs> so we got that ClickHouse connector out. But then there's a bunch of other things like the BigQuery connector uh, from Google um, got created and drop table added, which is so that adds on top of the OLAP functionality to actually do a little bit of like data migration and that kind of stuff. Um, we got uh, unnest support, um, very cool support uh, we got is the Glue Meta Store. Uh, where if you use the Hive connector and you use the Glue Meta Store, the Glue catalog in Amazon, um, it now can uh, use the native uh, statistics. So up to now, the statistics were automatically inserted by Trino, and then those statistics were used, and the native uh, statistics maintained and uh, updated by Glue. Uh, were not used, um, but now it's possible to migrate so that you can leave Glue to deal with it, and that of course lightens the load on on Trino itself. And uh, it's a seamless uh, migration as well because it basically can keep using the old ones, but also adapt new ones when they exist. So um, you won't any have any problems migrating to the new one. And then once that's done, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. So it's really nice. Um, Cool uh, thing that happened also was interesting discussion on the PR I found anyway. Um, Apache Phoenix 5.1 is supported. Um, the way we had to do that is um, basically the, the Phoenix connector is kind of like a sort of like semi forked in the code base to be two connectors. So there's two different connector names, you know, in the catalog when you configure connector.name equals whatever. There's now one for for Phoenix 5, there were, we had to do some class loading magic because there were some incompatibilities in the API and stuff like that we had to deal with. Pretty interesting approach uh, the developers took there. It was fun to see the discussions around that. Um, and that's also in. A um, couple of other things that I, that those were sort of the, the highlights from Martin in the official release notes. Uh, as you know, the official release notes is always pretty long because <laughs> a lot of stuff goes on. Uh, I read through this a few and I wanted to mention a few other things as well. So we added some uh, geometry functions again. 
there were a whole bunch, if you look in a general section of the release notes, a whole bunch of correctness and performance improvements, like the, it goes like fix this and fix that, like there's a whole bunch of them, literally just read it through because it goes pretty into details. Um, one thing that was requested quite a bit from users of the RPM-based installs was got in, that was also a long coming uh, hairy kind of thing to figure out. Um, uh, as you know, Trino has uh, secret support, so you can have passwords and stuff encoded uh, uh, so that it's get picked up from the environment variables that you set externally via your provisioning tool or whatever, so that you don't have to have any uh, secrets or like passwords or so saved on the catalog files on the disk. Now that, however, didn't really work with the RPM for some reason. Um, and we finally got that implemented as this nf.sh script that can now at startup load those correctly. And so you can now use secrets on RPM-based installs. So if you're using an RPM-based install, definitely check that out. Um, the Hive connector, apart from the glue statistics, got a few other things. I specifically wanted to mention that uh, the performance improvements on the bucketed table inserts were pretty significant. Mm. So if you are using bucketed tables, that's pretty cool. That's good. It's, it's really good. So the Hive connector always gets a lot of enhancements. I, I'm not sure how this is happening, but <laughs> obviously it has a lot of footprint of all the things it supports. Um, a one connector that's gotten dramatically uh, changed or improved in the recent little while is the Kafka connector. It now has a schema registry support and that got improved quite a lot again with this release. So that's gotten really come along really nicely. Uh, is I'm that sure the what... like Hortonworks registry, or is there like a generic API? No, it, it's it's the it's Confluent. Oh, Confluent has their own kind of schema registry. I, I at one point yes. I I'd used the Hortonworks like schema registry. They had their own thing. I don't know if it's like kind of based off the same same. Yeah, type no, of API. I think they're kind of related, but the the main standard one is Confluent, and um, cool. it's pretty much like the accepted way to do this now in the Kafka world. Great and. That's really good. Uh, if you're using that and you need even more improvements, definitely check out the Starburst version of it. It has like HTTPS support for the schema registry and, and a bunch of other additional things as well. Mm. But, um, cool. The JDBC connectors got an experimental join pushdown, which is pretty cool to have. So there's a bunch of those JDBC connectors have them. Uh, you see in the list which ones, um, but like definitely the common one like uh, Postgres, MySQL, uh, Oracle, and others. They have that as an experimental feature that you have to enable with a toggle. If you want to play around with that, that would be awesome uh, and tell us how it's working out for you. That will would definitely help. Uh, there's a bunch of other fixes on JBC connectors as well. And then the big one that Brian just scrolling to, SPI, <laughs> there's a bunch of changes obviously if you're not working against the SPI because you're not implementing a connector or so you don't have to worry about it but otherwise if you have some sort of custom plugin for an authorization or you're maintainer of a plugin Zhang that's the one you want to look <laughs> at that one <laughs> yeah so I, I mean that's always the interesting ones to see come through on, on these and, and when this was supposed to be such a small release you're like okay that's that's uh definitely you know you'll see a couple of these connector ones you know uh pile in but uh to see this many spi changes you're just like whoa so i it just usually they're they're, they're small changes in individually but they you know it's it, the aggregate of them are are uh, a little uh, a little bit bigger than what we usually see on a single um on a single uh, uh, release, but it's great. Uh, it's it's a lot of really long requested stuff that's been uh, kind of finally coming coming through and getting completed. So, yeah. By the way, Shang, um, 
my impression is that typically when the SBI changes, it's not too bad, right? Like you literally just update your code base, like the IDE will throw the error, like show you the errors and you just like change it over to the new signatures. It's pretty much a pretty simple change in most of the time, right? Uh, technically, yes. Uh, it's mostly about uh, ID assuming like uh, all the exceptions to my face and I'll probably go to take a look at all the interfaces changed and uh, say like uh, if there's any guidelines of like uh, this thing moved to that or something doesn't work and uh, typically the best practice is that we put the uh, those STIs into like deprecated things uh, yeah. those APIs and then people will have some like factories to figure out how to migrate and uh, also the best of that is that we can provide some sample uh, uh, migration change PR for the uh, connectors so you can point in, uh, like all the connector developers to that PR by saying like here is how we do migration for this example things and then people can just follow I think a lot of things when when the, when it's a, like a breaking change, they automatically implement it in all the connectors as well, right? So let's see. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Very cool. Speaking and then, of yeah, as I mentioned, three fifty four is around the corner. Um, there's a PR for a critical fix that we want to get going for some work asset transaction stuff. Um, so hopefully this week, but I'll tell you more next time. For sure. <laughs> All right. So speaking of, uh, let's let's move on into the concept of the week. Uh, speaking of uh, the Pino and, and uh, Trino connector, I like how they rhyme too. By the way, uh, we we see Commander Bun Bun sitting here sipping on a little bit of uh, Pino uh, this morning. So a little bit early, but I mean, I told him just lay it easy on the sauce this early. Um, I, real quick question while we're on this whole subject of wine, uh, uh, Zhang, where? Who came up with with Pino and and where did that name come from? I'm, I've always been curious to know that. Okay, it, it's like a very long history at uh, Uber. Okay. Oh, no, not Uber. That's LinkedIn. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so so basically, we started this uh, project like uh, uh, from 2013 or 2014, mm -hmm. and at that time uh, we basically because the entire team are like uh, drinking uh, this kind of wine, mm -hmm. and we also figuring out that. Uh, uh, Pinot are coming from like uh, grapes, right? So for all those grapes, we basically treat them as like uh, uh, some more like uh, data uh, cubes and yeah. we are trying to extract all of them and we want to like uh, make like good wines trying yeah. to extract all the best of that data mm. into uh, our like users. That's how we are coming up with this name at the very beginning. Uh, cool. However, the funny thing is that uh, eventually this team become like uh, always be lovers. <laughs> <laughs> that was the the, the funniest. So so the the when you had the meet meetups and things like that, or everybody getting together, then nobody was drinking Pinot wine anymore. It was all tea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, we're, 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 we're not uh, promoting like uh, uh, alcohol things uh, <laughs> in, in our working environment though. Uh, but but yeah. definitely it's like uh, people kind of lo love this wine and also love like how this wine has been uh, made, this kind of uh, uh, like this uh, fermentation and uh, everything yep. behind it and also like uh, this kind of uh, spirits. 
Yeah. Back in, uh, when I, so quick tangential thing, totally not related to the show. Um, when, when I was working or, uh, as a research assistant at Purdue, uh, we, I was in a lab where basically one of the, uh, the projects on there was we would take in these, uh, the sensory data that we kind of buried these sensors into the mud and, uh, would be underneath a vineyard. And so you would just be taking moisture and, uh, and temperature samples, uh, every like, you know, few seconds and, uh, feeding that data in to uh, basically some visualizations to help wine growers to understand, you know, based on the soil aggregation in this area, based on the uh, uh, water and the uh, and, and the temperatures uh, at this particular like low level, what what is the recommendations of where we should basically be watering? Because California is super restricted on how they can use water as well as like you don't want to overwater your wine or else the, your grapes are going to be uh, too moisturous and it's not, uh, you basically want to kind of, have it to where it's kind of struggling a little bit. The the grape is struggling to live, but you don't want it to die. That's that's what makes like a perfect wine. So uh, there's a lot of of like calculation that goes into uh, how to make a really good dry wine. And uh, uh, and yeah, so that's totally aside. Uh, actual <laughs> talking about wine. Uh, <laughs> but, but getting back to the topic, I, I really <laughs> like the analogy you brought up, Shing. Mm-hmm. That. Um, curating fruit or like from whiskey making also the distilling process is very similar to dealing with a whole mess of data and getting good good insights out of it right like it's really an art in both cases and i think that's that's a, that's a that's a really cool analogy, I think. So I we, like that. We were gonna go with uh, Commander Bun Bun harvesting carrots. Uh, data was gonna be the carrot, or carrot was gonna be the data, and then Commander Bun Bun was gonna be our little carrot harvester. But but very cool. I like I like that analogy as well. Um, so part of our concept, uh, I, I figured there's there's a lot of. Uh, this, this, this is kind of a generalized uh, topic. Uh, so talking about multidimensional uh, OLAP is going to be kind of the part that I'm going to discuss. And then we're going to get more specifically into Pinot. Um, a couple of times in, in, in things that I've read in relation to Pinot, we talk about MOLAP and talk about um, this, uh, these, these kind of data cubes. And this is not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I, I think maybe this might be something that Pino uses, but I don't know if this is the exact data structure. I think they use like, uh, was it star, uh, a star kind of structure? Star tree. Uh, yeah, so star this tree. typically is like uh, in like uh, modern generation, uh, how people are doing data analytics. Okay. So this is like uh, all the topics they cannot uh, bypass. It's basically how you do analytics on top of your raw data. And oh. how you are uh, accelerating, uh, how how you accelerate your data, and uh, uh, data anal- uh, data analytics, and uh, how you uh, basically accelerating when you access the data, and uh, this is like how you process it. Yeah. So it's typically like from the data transformation, we use this cubing things to uh, represent this data. Yeah. In- so data cubes are more, I guess, on a conceptual level, not necessarily the exact data structure that you're going to be actually like representing uh, the, the data and in, like internally, correct? Yeah. Because I've, I've heard in a couple, in one of the blogs that you wrote, you talked about cubing. And so that's why I kind of wanted to give a little bit of this background as to conceptual, yeah. conceptualize like what's being done here. And so what data cubing essentially is in, in, in MOLAP is like, 
you you are trying to kind of take these uh, these dimensions uh, within your data. So these would be just particular columns that you're typically grouping the data by. So you, you usually have something in, in this particular example, we have a data cube that has three dimensions. It's easy to uh, visualize anyways. And you can you'd have something like a, a part number or a, a store location or a customer and a lot of times you're trying to kind of ask questions of like, what are the counts by part number, by customer, by store location? So you would, you know, usually have like a select statement saying like select part store customer and then give me the counts. And then you're going to say, give me this from this cube table. So if you if you have a table that is does not have this kind of uh, of cube or multidimensional cube uh, where this data has been grouped already, um, you have to actually go out to your table and scan every single row uh, and and basically uh, perform that aggregation ad hoc, right? And so and this is uh, in in part uh, unless we have some pre saved kind of cache data, this is in part kind of what uh, Trino has to do uh, because we are uh, handling this kind of ad hoc analysis. But then uh, what's what uh, data stores like Pino try to do is they try to kind of make a, a, a data store, not necessarily represented this exact way, but they try to kind of have this data pre-aggregated. And so you can visualize it into or picture it uh, conceptually as being this kind of data cube where all of these answers have been pre-computed and, and basically you can then take this cube and perform operations on this subset of this like kind of uh, aggregated data. Um, and this will answer a lot of, of the uh, queries that you're trying to basically go out and, and, and ask the questions. So another example would be if you're interested specifically in the customer Bob, you could look at this cube and start splitting it into these little slices. And what you would do uh, is you would say, uh, ask a question like select part and store and get the give me the counts of part and store where the customer is Bob, and this is actually going to based on the based on a customer where they have uh, again I don't know exactly what this how this would relate to a real world scenario but you know based on where the customer is equal to Bob you're going to get the parts and the stores uh, where Bob is the customer and uh, and then basically get all of those counts. Uh, and, and so it's going to narrow it from a three-dimensional cube to basically like a two-dimensional uh, cube with all these different counts uh, that you're interested in. Now, a lot of times, maybe you're going to be more interested in the aggregate over every single customer. So you can do this uh, operation called a roll-up. And so these would be basically taking all of the dimensions of, of one particular dimensions. So let's say the customer dimension, and you're going to actually flatten that into a single structure and perform some sort of uh, count over that. So you basically want to sum, and this is, uh, I actually just realized I kind of screwed up this, the sequel here, but the, uh, the concept is that you would uh, aggregate these, uh, these counts um, that are coming from, uh, let's say, part and store location over all the customers, and you want to either sum those counts or uh, do any various, maybe average those counts uh, and, and try to get an understanding of what's happening across all customers. Um, and so, so these hypercubes or uh, these multidimensional cubes uh, of, that are just basically taking aggregates of your data, these kind of uh, give you some ability to uh, run all of this ag aggregation and, uh, and these types of queries without having to really 
scan every single row again, and you basically can pre-aggregate this data. Um, so uh, with that said, this is kind of what we're getting to with, with Pinot. Pinot is solving for this problem of, of, uh, um, of basically uh, pre-aggregating data so that you don't have to uh, scan over multiple rows. And also, so you have a more dependable turnaround in your queries. So if you're not having to, to depend on you know, network latencies and scanning every single row in, you now have a, a much more dependable and understandable way to reason about how fast something should be returning uh, versus all sorts of variables whenever you're transmitting a whole bunch of data. So with that, I'm going to kind of uh, hand this over uh, to uh, to um, Zhang and and kind of say like uh, Zhang, tell tell us about Apache Pino from from your perspective and kind of what problems it's solving and and this type of thing. So and I can pull up the uh, any of the references whenever you want me to. Oh sure, sure, sure. thanks. Yeah, thanks for that uh, uh, very detailed uh, uh, introductions. And uh, yeah, this is kind of the problem most of the OLAP store are uh, trying to solve. So for, uh, particularly for Apache Pino, uh, this is like a uh, uh, data store we are building uh, from LinkedIn, uh, especially for the low, low latency analytics. So right now, when I say low latency, it includes uh, both low ingestion latency as well as low query latency. So this means that uh, uh, Pino can uh, extract data directly from Kafka so that once your data is in uh, once you dump your data into Kafka, you can uh, let the data be consumed by Pino and for it immediately. It's like seconds uh, delay, you, you, you will just see your data. And uh, uh, apart from like uh, uh, Kafka, Pino can also import data uh, from uh, deep store like uh, uh, HDFS or like S3. Uh, and then Pino has many uh, index technologies. Uh, one is like uh, uh, inverting index, it can help user to clone the data. Uh, for example, in your uh, previous example, you have like uh, this uh, customer equals Bob, right? If you have inverting index, uh, you already come uh, bypass all the customers, their name are not Bob, right? So this is the kind of the uh, indexing technology to uh, accelerate uh, the query scanning. Apart from that, Pino also uh, has this kind of thing called the star tree. So this uh, star tree technology, you can probably put part of that graph. So uh, of this uh, latency versus- uh, Oh yeah, action. let me go ahead yeah. and show that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if, if for, the the, podcast, for podcast listeners, just look at your show notes. There's a chart called uh, latency versus flexibility. Go ahead. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to explain it uh, like more verbally. So <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically uh, when we are looking at uh, like uh, data analytics, right? So we have like uh, everything raw and uh, basically we probably don't know uh, what to query uh, or what to analyze. At that point, uh, we typically go to like a data lake and um, go to Trino to say, okay, I want to uh, take a look at what's the schema of these two tables and uh, I probably want to extract some uh, columns from like uh, my dimensional table, like my user dimensions. Hmm. And then I want to, let's say, uh, aggregate uh, on like my order table, right? Uh, let's say I'm an e-commerce uh, company. I want to uh, analyze my user behavior, my customer behavior uh, based on all the order, right? And I have all the order, uh, order table with like all the customer ID. 
and I want to probably uh, do some drawing with the, the customer uh, dimensions, then I can analyze things like I want to do grouping um, based on like the locations. So I will see what, uh, which uh, uh, groceries are like very popular, let's say in the area. Right? And once we're figuring out that uh, this is something like uh, I'm really interested and it uh, would be, uh, this thing will be super useful for our uh, uh, data and uh, data scientists or like data analysts uh, or for the CEO to, to view or CFO to view this report. We're actually trying to uh, make this thing to be super fast so mm. that people can wait uh, just by one click. Yeah. And that's, uh, at this time, we will basically need to do things like, uh, first we need to do a uh, pre-drawing of these two tables, and now we generate like one big table, right? So right. in terms of that, you basically have like uh, uh, all your other data, and uh, it's also being decorated with all the member dimensions. So you will have like a very fat table, and at, and that table will have like uh, all your other information as well as all the customer information. And now you can actually do a big buy on some, uh, on, on top of that and uh, it will bypass the drawing. So it will still use some computational cost. However, you will have like uh, storage, uh, actual storage to store this data. And uh, later on, you, you will find out, okay, I want this thing to be even more faster. And then you, you're, you're, you're actually going to the pre-aggregation, which means that I, I actually want to uh, do like some on this, uh, let's say all the sales amount. So you will, so you will see this number to be uh, popping up for like United States. So when you look at uh, my United States sales, you don't need to do all the sums across all the uh, records. You just uh, look at one number, you will get US, uh, US uh, sales amount. And this thing later on will go to this uh, grouping things because I want to see all the dimensional data. All, basically I want to see uh, uh, my sales number by everything. So this thing will, will comes up to be like, uh, I can make everything to be just a lookup. All my query is just a one lookup. Let's say I, I can group by uh, who is the user Bob and uh, where this Bob is. Bob can be like in the area of the Bob can buy something probably in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And you will see all those data and you can all, always look, look them up in uh, one time. However, this is uh, causing a problem we call it like a dimensional explode, uh, uh, mm. which means that uh, uh, in order to generate this kind of data, you need to uh, generate uh, extra records, which proportional to all your dimensional multiplications. So this, uh, this means that later on, let's say if you add one more dimension into your customer field, into your customer table, and after you join, so you, you're going to uh, have X times of your table size. So this thing is kind of not really scale. So we basically invented this like a star tree uh, kind of technology, which can help uh, users to do our partial uh, kind of aggregations. Mm -hmm. So that um, it allows the user to uh, skip those uh, very few number of records aggregations, which means that user can ask, can get uh, whatever this uh, uh, pre-aggregated uh, uh, values by not scanning more than X number of records. Mm. This is like uh, a pretty advanced thing because uh, uh, typically when we are saying we want to get the 
uh, sales amount, let's say, for United States, typically you have like so many orders, like millions of orders. And uh, in order to get that, you just need to uh, read one record. Uh, however, let's say if I want to get uh, uh, how many orders for a particular zip code, it may be just a 10. Mm -hmm. In terms of that, uh, uh, you may not want to uh, create extra one record for this 10 record scan. You can probably afford the cost by saying, okay, I can scan 10 records and get my, uh, get my results. And you can set this threshold, basically when you generate this index, you can say, okay, my, I can afford to scan 1,000 records to get my answer. So Pino will not pre-aggregate any results that's, uh, that requires scanning uh, uh, less, uh, fewer than 1,000 records. So that can uh, drastically uh, reduce the storage cost from uh, your data your data set perspective. And this is also how we are uh, basically making you know, super fast. And uh, this can like quick, serve uh, most of the user's requirements. Quick question, Jang, is like, so yep. So it sounds like, like this, this, uh, does this mean that Pino has this uh, ability to kind of based on the uh, shape of the data, you could say, or based on like how uh, how highly yeah, how dim the dimensionality. That's the word I'm looking right. for. Based on the dimensionality, Pino tries to make a smart decision. So my 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 thought here is, I'm I'm brand new coming into Pino, and right. I don't know I don't know yet how to get into the nitty gritty. Pino is making some smart decisions for me based on the data that I'm sending to it, right? So a high dimensionality uh, set of data, maybe you're going to be a little more uh, uh, kind of conservative on how much you're trying to uh, to uh, apply this kind of pre-aggregation or or cubing to uh, any of the any of the um, uh, all, and you basically don't ma make an aggregation over all the data, right? You're trying to look right. at, let's say, n some of the values, and if these values are going to be, you know, like like over a thousand or some X number of values, you're gonna basically say, okay, this is gonna be like this is gonna make a huge amount of of uh, cash this particular dimension. So let's say it's like a you know, one of those continuous type type of columns where it's like real numbers or something like that. There's going to be, you can't really bucket that so easily ex unless, you know, you have the user maybe make some smart decisions of saying, you know, between, you know, these particular ranges bucketed into this. But like you're, you would have, if you treat a real value as like a or continuous uh, column as like something that's uh, maybe more, uh, uh, discrete, then you're you're going to basically have this huge explosion, right? So right. you wouldn't be obviously be doing that, but then you know, for something that has like maybe uh, let's say a column that has you know a whole bunch of uh, uh, different like uh, human inserted fields or something like that, that's a little messy. You're not mm -hmm. going to try to blow up that particular dimension, right? You're not going to try to basically make that into a an aggregate field because you're going to say there's too many values here. Is that kind of does Pino have those smarts to kind of? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Basically, uh, this is like back to now we're like uh, computer science 101. When yeah. we are seeing uh, algorithm and why we why why we design algorithm, we always say this is like a space and the time complexity. Right? Yeah. So we basically. Uh, we, will, we will basically do trade-offs between uh, time and the space, yep. which means that uh, we will uh, 
use extra storage to achieve fast queries, right? Yep. So think of like uh, uh, when you are querying your entire raw uh, table, you are going to scan billions of records to uh, answer one question. Yep. We, we, we call it a, a high cost query as we need to scan billions of records, right? So yeah, this is on the very left side on that graph. So basically uh, it's graph a little bit. Oh. We were still on that. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't see with the flexibility. So basically uh, for like a raw table scan, it's basically on the left side, we have very, we have high, uh, high latency and uh, uh, but we also have like a high flexibility. And meanwhile, for single query, the cost is high because we need to pay like uh, the network, just scan everything yeah. there, right? So yeah. we call it a high uh, cost query. And meanwhile, on the right side, if we uh, pre-cube everything, so the lookup is like O1. So we call it a, a low cost latency, a low cost query, however, uh, user need to pay the cost upfront, which is your storage cost. You need to store everything, right? So Pino is kind of pro providing a trade-off solution, which you can actually finding uh, any point in this kind of curve from like uh, highest cost to lowest cost. So it's basically you can find the trade-off between your uh, time and space. This is like uh, logically or conceptually, uh, we are helping the user based on their uh, like uh, uh, hardware resources or like what's uh, how fast they want this story uh, to be, right? Because uh, right. with uh, uh, Pino, you can achieve deterministic query latency uh, based on your uh, SLA, based on your service level agreement. Yep. You can choose like what's my desired latency and I can use the minimal storage to help user to achieve that. Gotcha. It's not necessarily to be like pre-cubed everything. Yeah. 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 I think I think the the part I'm I'm thinking of too is like people that are making their journey into Pino, if they don't know anything about this, I guess you kind of try to take a, a somewhat conservative approach, but not like you still want to make things faster, right? So you're kind of somewhere in the middle. And then ideally uh, once they become a more advanced, well-versed uh, user, they, they'll be able to kind of understand, okay, I'm going to make this particular trade-off here and maybe make this column or this uh, part of my query a little closer to the low latency but uh, low flexibility side. And then I'm going to kind of, you know, basically make more adjustments based on my axis patterns and, and right. tune, tune that a little bit more. So, so you give them the option to know nothing and still have a pretty good out of the box experience, I'm, I'm guessing. Right, right. Basically, uh, as long as the user understand uh, uh, what kind of aggregation they want to do, then they can just uh, create that index. Right. And, uh, so, so on... uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so on the aggregations, I'm guessing the typical dimensions people are aggregating on are like time dimension to have like, like you know, quarterly, monthly, yes. yearly, that kind of stuff. And then probably like you mentioned earlier, also aggregation on a geographical level, where it's like per country, per state, per whatever municipality, whatever. And then a lot of things are also on the financials, right? Like where you're aggregating on price. So those those kind of like the main things, like dimension-wise, where you're aggregating on, or can you think of any others? Like from a practical perspective, what data people are looking at? 
Uh, from practical perspective, it's like many things, right? So, uh, apart from like, so this is like the very, uh, very typical like uh, sales data or like the factors. So, for example, uh, uh, you 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 may also do aggregate based on uh, user dimensions. Let's say uh, you want to show your uh, order details to your. Let's say if you are like uh, uh, for uh, I can take an example of Uber 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 Eats for example. Uber Eats uh, provide the, like analytic, uh, analytics to their restaurant owners. So for each restaurant owner, you will be able to see like uh, what's the uh, sales amount, uh, what kind okay. of. Uh, um, all those things, right? In this case, we are actually do buy on like uh, the, the the restaurant uh, ID, and we provide uh, like the detailed restaurant level aggreg aggregations for all the restaurant owners. In this case, uh, uh, it's it's uh, like uh, member level uh, aggregations. Usually for this kind of site-facing use cases, we will, it, it's like uh, require a very uh, deterministic operating super strict uh, uh, P99 operating for this kind of site-facing use cases because uh, it's providing analytics to your end users. For example, for some bank, they may want to tell you like uh, how much you are spending at uh, different categories. If, uh, if it's like, spinning there for one minute to, to generate the report, the user may already close their website. So this is like uh, latency-wise, it's very critical for the site-facing uh, site use cases. You know, it's extremely uh, uh, advancing this area. Basically, uh, for example, at LinkedIn and uh, Uber, it's been using you know, for these site-facing use cases for like more than five years. And it's it surfacing like thousands of PPS with like uh, less than 100 milliseconds. Uh, P99, uh, P99 latency. And uh, wow. this kind of things are like uh, uh, very, very, uh, how to say, this basically make this, make a, make your uh, data product to be able to uh, surfacing all your whole user base instead of just the internal uh, analytics for your internal data analyst or data scientist. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that's a whole different scale then obviously. That's cool. So understanding right. kind of where this this moves into like what where things are very useful. You had a, a super useful part of our we had a conversation uh, before the show which was uh kind of talking driving like uh for some people that they may be like okay, well I, a lot of my my uh, over over overarching queries that I'm running against my systems are are typically ad hoc, right? So, but you actually have a very compelling kind of uh, uh, discussion that that uh, that talks about uh, bringing value value to that data that's maybe not uh, ad hoc or, or in the in the more recent times. So, could you talk a little bit about kind of how data kind of loses its value over time and and how doing measures like this kind of brings that data back into the picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for this topic, I think uh, the most basic question we want to ask is like, why real time, right? Because uh, when we're talking about a real time analysis, it's like low ingestion latency. So why I need a low ingestion latency? Because uh, for if we, if we look at the data, so data has its own value. So when a single data coming as so if you get this data as fresh as possible, 
this data will give the uh, user most of its value. For example, if there's like one transaction is happening. So for financial institute, uh, they were figuring out, okay, this is a fraud uh, uh, transaction. Mm. So I need to lock your credit card. I, I need to file something. Uh, I probably need to call, please. Probably not. Um, in this case, uh, this data value will lose if you get this data too, too late. Right? So mm. if you get uh, this uh, further transaction one day, uh, it's probably too late. So basically for a single event of this value, it will decrease and uh, it's like uh, decreased a lot uh, during um, uh, one time pass. So this is the one we are calling about the, the value decreasing for single events. However, the, when you aggregate everything together, the value of the data will go up. Take one example of like e-commerce or for example, your, your order data, right? So when you put the order immediately, uh, the, like, uh, the e-commerce shop may give you some recommendation immediately by saying, oh, you bought this, take a look at this. So this is uh, your single event value, right? So when you bought something, uh, they give you the recommendation and uh, it may attract uh, it may attract you and uh, then you probably bought uh, you can you can buy something else so this is the value of the real time debt and uh, once this data to be like ingesting into your data lake and you have so many like billions of these search events you will be able to do analyze right mm -hmm. so for example uh, after one day you will say okay how how my business is doing for yesterday you can aggregate on your uh, sales amount by saying, okay, uh, how is the different area is doing? All those aggregate value will provide you more insights on like how your business is doing. And this is like falling to the typical uh, business analytics area. And uh, moreover that uh, for, let's say for one user, if you are collecting uh, uh, like as long, as long history as possible, you are basically getting the time series of like how for a particular metrics a bit uh, in a time you know in a, in a very long time span how how it is goes it can help you to analyze like user behavior uh, how their uh, purchase behavior all those things are like are possible hmm. when you have the many data which means that uh, the for aggregated uh, events the value will go up yeah. uh, over time so basically, that's why we need kind of the combination of the force of both real-time analysis and uh, as well as offline uh, or like the batch analysis. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and even to your point of, of what you had brought up the, um, the fraud uh, uh, use case, like bringing in a whole bunch of those over time, you can then kind of start to build a pattern of what does, what does fraud look like and, and can we... Uh, you know, kind of cla run classification or figure out how, you know, how to detect this fraud beforehand using previous examples. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the examples can be endless there of, of uh, data, data that is aggregated and especially like uh, pulled together in, in hindsight can, can quickly become of much more value, especially when applied to that real time ingestion, like uh, the data coming in at, uh, in real time. So, so very Correct. cool. Very cool uh, um, discussion there. Um, so, uh, is unless there's anything you wanted to kind of touch on more on the uh, maybe more theoretical side, do you want to jump into the Pinot architecture 
a, a little sure. bit to kind of uh, tell us a little bit, just to kind of give us an idea of how, how you managed to do both real-time and, and then sub-second latency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically from uh, Pinot side, uh, so we can first start with like the time ingestion perspective. So from the real-time ingestion pipeline, uh, Pinot can subscribe data from like a Kafka or like Kinesis and uh, get data into Pinot real-time server. So for Pinot real-time server, it's like uh, uh, have embedded Kafka consumer and uh, uh, consume data and do indexing. And then uh, Pinot will try to store the data into a uh, diff store, which can be either your like uh, local uh, network file system or like, uh, uh, let's say Amazon S3 or like HDFS or Google GC, uh, GCS uh, up to the user. And apart from that, uh, uh, Pinot have something called the offline server, which can uh, load the, the data are like fields from like uh, Spark or Hadoop. So for those segments are kind of Pinot's uh, lowest uh, uh, data batch. Hmm. And uh, from the query perspective, uh, Pinot has a broker, which will be very smart to figuring out what are the real-time server and the offline server to uh, ask my questions. It will basically try to uh, automatically handle the time boundary change so that uh, it will query the offline server as uh, as much as possible uh, and then query the real-time server for the gaps. So basically this is like a, a Lambda architecture. Yeah, I was just uh, gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and, and, uh, and all, the, all the query are going to broker and uh, being uh, distributed to like all the servers. Broker will also handle things like load balancing and uh, uh, also uh, broker internally will have some concept of like partitioning if user uh, has the config the, the data partition and the Pino will only look at, uh, look up that partition based on your query flow. You're only filtering on that partition then we will want to like uh, scan the entire table. You will only look at that particular shard uh, apart from that, uh, uh, we are also like looking at uh, expanding the real-time server to offline server part, which means that mm. people just pointing to, let's say Kafka and forget about that. You know, internally, we'll try to move the uh, persisted data from real-time server to offline server uh, so that uh, uh, you can just uh, probably set a very, very long retention and uh, just keep adding uh, machine or your VM into offline server, uh, server pool, and then uh, your table will just be sitting there. So in uh, in practice, though, we basically have like a, a cluster with like a, a couple hundred to like thousand uh, machines. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of our biggest uh, clusters, and um, it can serve like uh, probably. I, I, I wouldn't uh, say like a hundred terabytes, but uh, uh, that's really the biggest table we observe right now. Wow. So, yeah. and and I, real quick question back to your, your, your kind of moving things, uh, segments from real time to offline. Uh, what What's responsible for that? I was just kind of curious to ask that. Bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you, if you think of this one, uh, if you think of like the real time server, right? It has like uh, embedded a Kafka consumer. Mm -hmm. So, or like uh, Kinesis consumer. So, because uh, in your Kafka and in your Kinesis, uh, your upstream is already sharded, which means that uh, mm -hmm. uh, let's say you, you have four Kafka partitions. Mm -hmm. 
there's no means you have like 1,000 real-time server because uh, uh, only really only four Kafka consumer consumers are working, right? So you you, you basically have four servers really doing the indexing, mm -hmm. and uh, they will like uh, uh, index the data and persist it. And once they finish, that we will try to move those things okay. from the real-time server to offline server. So real-time server will be majorly working on like the data indexing mm -hmm. and uh, uh, consuming those kind of work. And the offline server will uh, be able to handle much larger workload. And also uh, we will basically, because, uh, because your, your local disk is also limited. So we want to uh, help users to scale based on uh, the, the offline servers. Are those segments kind of like, uh, based on time, like at some particular time increment, you'll, you'll move from real time. Like you'll, let's say you write for every hour or something or write for every like day. And once, uh, you know, so you have those four partitions from coming from Kafka, they're streaming into a segment. And then as soon as, you know, the time hits, they start streaming mm -hmm. into new segments. And then you would then have some tasks that move those into offline. Is that correct? Okay. Cool. Yeah, basically it's like uh, we, we have something called a tier. So you can basically configuring by saying, uh, I have my because I uh, because my my lookup may be like most mostly on the recent data, right? So I may configure by saying that uh, for the recent seven days, mm -hmm. I want to put uh, all those you know segments into SSD uh, disk here. Mm -hmm. That will improve my performance a lot, right? Yeah, and. Uh, after seven days, uh, I will probably leave everything to like the cheaper uh, hard disk. Yep. So that's kind of things you can configure. Cool. Uh, when you, I uh, mean, which tier you want to move your data to. Very good. Um. Cool. Uh. So, with uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover on architecture? Uh, we might move on to the PR of the week if, uh, unless you wanted to uh, mention a few more things. Yeah, I think let's move to the PR of the week. So, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So Elon, uh, <laughs> you're up. <laughs> we, I, we, we tend to do this where we drag on, on, on really cool stuff. Uh, and yeah. I think this is super cool. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so you are, uh, as you kind of mentioned, you've, you've been involved with, uh, Trino and even all the way back in the Presto days, uh, back at Facebook with Martin, Dane and David. And, and so you're, you're pretty well, uh, ingrained in, in our, uh, and, and basically what, what we do here. And so uh, what got you kind of uh, working with uh, with Pino and kind of uh, uh, start working on this connector? Um, yeah, I just want to say first, thanks to the Trino and the Pino communities for welcoming like changes and being so helpful sure. and helping users all the time. Um, but yeah, so after I uh, left Facebook, I joined a stealth mode secret startup that I'm part of now and cool. we needed we really needed a uh, uh, real-time data cool so uh, and we also had an analytics team that needed to do complex queries over that same data sure. as well and we researched a few different products like Druid Clickhouse Pino and uh, looked at blogs just tested out how um, the usability was and chose Pino just it was easy to set up the performance is great it's been stable and uh, Trino, you know, we love, everyone loves Trino, so <laughs> that was a no-brainer. Um, but at the time there was no connector for uh, to Trino. So we took uh, what, there was a connector in the Presto, old Presto repo and completely rewrote it 
refactored it and uh, allowed us to um, allow data engineers and real-time dashboards both to connect uh, to Pino through Trino. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and the main uh, stuff to uh, get started, you only actually need to set the Pino controller URL uh, to a comma-separated list, or if you use Kubernetes, um, that's a common use case, then you just set it to the service name and the exposed port, like pino.pino9000 is the default port, for example. Okay. Um, we try to go with the Trino concept of have minimal configuration and then just have sensible defaults. Um, but the other most commonly adjusted config operate config uh, parameter is the number of seg the number of rows per segment that you can return. And uh, this is because we, when we hooked it up, we innocently were doing select star and crashing the Pinot servers because they were exporting all the data. So uh, we can go into more, a little more detail uh, later about that, but it's Pinot uh, max rows per split for segment queries, um, which brings us to the next item. There's two ways to, two APIs, actually three now to connect to Pinot. The first is through the broker where uh, as Yang said before, you know, you can do all the smart aggregations, filtering, pruning of uh, the segments, which is how the data is stored in Pinot. Um, and then the other API is the server API, which under the hood, the brokers use, uh, we use it directly uh, for uh, like, if you want a large export or if you want to query with no filter, for example. And that's hitting um, the offline server, I guess? Uh, they hit the server, all servers, both oh. real-time and offline. Okay. Um, unless you specifically uh, say that you want to select from the offline table or the real-time table, that's a suffix. Gotcha. Offline. And but the, the connector handles that logically, like you don't have to worry about what it's hitting, no. broker or server, it does that. Right. Um, so the, the way, uh, by default, it'll just hit the server. Uh, but if you want... You can do this, uh, what we call pass-through query, where you select from the table name. So it'd be something like select star from, and then in double quotes, a Pino query. And this uh, was okay. before, before all the aggregation pushdown and other cool features were implemented. So we were able to push the entire query down into Pino. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting because I was wondering when you were all talking about how Pino has all that smarts. So the native language for Pino is also SQL. So it has its own SQL. It also theory. uses uh, like a kind of more standard SQL language, but there's one called PQL or BQL okay. uh, that you can use. But uh, for uh, the broker queries, we use actually the just the standard SQL. Uh, we found it to be more stable and they're deprecating the other ones and also okay. on that uh uh it was also it also had some correctness improvements um, and, and the pass through that you mentioned that basic like i was wondering because otherwise if you just send a like if you like naively write a query in, in trino it would do a lot of the aggregation and try to do that and then all the benefits of pino would basically disappear to some degree right so you're saying this pass through enables you to as a, as a as a person writing the query understand this is already pre-aggregated in in pino so i'm not going to even bother trino with it 
and are just passed it through. So you need to have a bit of understanding of what's already like available in Pinot as a pre-aggregation stuff, basically, right? Yeah, that's right. And usually oh, okay. we use them for a dashboard query where we work with people because it's a little bit tricky, the syntax, but it, the, the benefits are, you know, then you can get those millisecond queries or like 20 millisecond queries. Um, and uh, there's also a, an open PR to that we actually use in our production to enable aggregation pushdown. I have a little like a diagram here. So it's kind of uh, showing the, and this actually shows the Trino uh, workers talking to directly to the servers versus talking to the broker. So would you want to talk a little bit about that, how that aggregation pushdown feature works while we're on it? Sure. So uh, when you enable it, when you run, when the metadata goes to the apply aggregation, um, Pinot under the hood, the Pinot connector builds up a broker query and it will just add the aggregation functions to the broker query, like the group by, um, in, in addition to the already implemented filter and limit pushdown. And, uh, so this way, when, when, uh, you run the query, it's actually turns a regular query, you know, like select users count or some revenue or from your Pinot table, it will actually turn that into a broker query as if you were doing the pass-through query mm. uh, with the advantage that you don't have like some of the case sensitivity issues that you have by doing a query as an identifier, which um, by the way, is also very similar to how the Elasticsearch connector works. Yeah. And uh, Martine actually gave us the idea to do that. That was really awesome. Um, yeah, so that that's... Uh, that's about the aggregation pushdown. Um, we do also have some some work on, uh, we, we in production use insert because we were having these flink jobs and you know just like reams of YAML to configure the flink operator. And so we figured it'd be much easier for our engineers to just do inserts into offline tables from Pinot and it's been working for us. We also have an open PR for that. Um, that's a pretty interesting one. It'll shard the data uh, to this, like a worker for a specific segment that's based on the time column and then push the, generate the segment and push the data similar to how you would run a, on a, one of the Pinot minions, but it, you run it on the Presto worker. Um, wow, cool. And uh, yeah, we also implemented create table just so we could track and log uh, Presto, uh, Pinot table data through um, like our logging framework. So you can directly create a table from Presto and also do show create table and see the different properties that uh, the Pinot table has. Um, and then in future work, we actually want to eliminate the broker as a uh, that pass through query and allow something similar to how Pinot has groovy functions in there. You can inject a groovy function into your Pinot SQL will do something where it's on the column level and it'll just natively use all the aggregation and filter pushdown that's already in the connector. Mm. Cool. So when you when you when you're using some sort of BI tool or whatever with with Trino and you connect and you connect it down to Pinot, you just write those queries however you would want to write them and it'll and it'll work just fine basically because the result sets are just normal normal data result sets. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, for those pass through queries, 
typically there'll be like a you know a fixed query that's used to populate a real-time dashboard so we'll we'll create a view out of the query so uh end users don't you know they have a much easier time working with the data when they don't see like select and then double quotes and then a query and yeah stuff. so they so it's basically a materialized view or like some sort of like plain table that looks like and they can just go oh, yeah yep. that's best very cool so under the hood under the hood for all like uh, i sort of like didn't get all the details earlier to some degree wasn't sure under the hood in Pino, what's what's enabling all this like high latency beyond like what storage engines do you have underneath it? Is it just all the like Azure storage and like the object storage systems, or are you also hooking in some relational databases as well for the storage, or is there some in-memory storage happening as well? Uh, Pino, I guess Jiang, if you want to answer that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so Pino itself uh, has uh, basically its own way of like storing data and build the index. So uh, it's okay. all uh, on disk. That's why when, when I talk about previously, I would say SSD will perform much better. And uh, Pino internally will basically have its own uh, kind of um, own format of storing the data and build a different kind of index on top of the data. Oh, so okay. it will so it's, it's, it's own format. Yeah, it's its own format, right? Okay. Yeah, and that's I guess it's like open source, but internal to Pino. <laughs> it's uh, it's everything is open source, right? Yeah, I know. Read the source code. <laughs> yeah, but I guess uh, very very few people will do that. But it's all welcome because there are like uh, many uh, different algorithms, and it's actually uh, very good learning, especially for 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 people who who are interested in data structure. This is a very interesting. Yeah, definitely. So one last thing, I think, uh, Elon, if, if we can cover, so let's dive into, like, there's been a lot of interest on both the Pino and the Trino side uh, to kind of understanding what's coming up for eliminating this broker query parsing. Uh, and, and so uh, if you could just dive into that and kind of like a, you know, go into like, the, I guess a common question you're getting is like, why is my pass through query like failing? Um, and so I think that's, is that actually the one that we used as our question of the week? Yeah. Uh, so why does my, pa this, we'll, we'll cover the question of the week and then we'll actually end up finishing out on the, on the demo here. Uh, so the question is like, why does my password query not work in the Pinot connector? And, uh, and what are we doing to kind of, uh, uh, fix that? And I think the other, I think I mixed two things. I think the other one I want to see is, uh, uh, the server limit uh, uh, solve. So uh, in whatever order, <laughs> you could talk about uh, maybe the pass-through query, sure. queries first. Yeah, um, so the pass-through query, that's the most common question that we see in Slack and our users. It's because uh, the most common reason is because the identifier is lowercase. So it although the connector does its best to match columns that it parses from the pass-through query to actual Pinot columns in like maybe mixed case. Uh, the most common one is you have a lowercase, a constant that's uppercase gets lowercase. Um, and the two ways to solve that are, one is to move the filter outside of the query if that column is exposed in the select list. Mm -hmm. And that way uh, you can use Trino's filter pushdown, which will preserve the case of the constants. Another workaround is to just wrap it in upper if it's a completely uppercase constant. I know that's not always possible. 
um, otherwise you would have to filter it outside of the double quotes cool. to get that working. And we are working um, on doing, on evolving past that by having, being able to just uh, mention columns in double quotes. And maybe uh, if uh, if we could get, I, I think one thing I just thought of uh, for the answer and, and something we can add in the show notes after this is would be to uh, like have a quick example of something that would fail and then like the kind of two ways that we could actually wrap that. So like uh, two SQL examples, that might be something. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I have many of them. So. <laughs> <That> you... <laughs> yeah. And awesome. um, the other one for the server uh like if you just do a select star from a pino table if you only set up the pino controller url you'll likely get uh you know exceeded limit for segment query 50k mm -hmm. uh, which we found to be a reasonable limit um so you can there's two choices you can either uh raise the raise the uh configuration but then you'll have the risk of ta you know putting too much load on your pino servers or um, you can use a broker query. And we, we actually um, worked with the Pinot community to implement a streaming connector that uses gRPC streaming. So uh, we, we wanna put that in the connector also. So for regular server queries, it'll just use this other endpoint that directly streams the results to Presto. That's very cool. Yeah, because I, I think you were saying like, so when you do uh, the the other going the other way through uh, going through a uh, directly to the server, you're typically having to. Uh, the reason why it's crashing is because it's doing like batches, right? And so it has to. It ends up taking up a lot of memory on the Pino side. Is that correct? Yeah, memory, disk, network. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically tapping out all these resources when you're like basically scanning through these terabytes. And so if you're pulling pulling that out, that's easy way to crash your Pino server. And so the streaming alternative would still be pulling that data, but it's basically not having to take up a lot of those resources except for transferring. Uh, is that? Right. Yeah, and buffering, the data. it doesn't buffer as much data before it sends it. Cool, cool. So so that's something to look forward to. I mean, uh, is there, obviously like in open source, right? There's no perfect timeline, but uh, but do you have like any idea of, of like when users might be expecting to see something like that come come about or? Definitely uh, before the next election. No, I'm kidding. Uh, definitely like <laughs> nice. in the next few, <laughs> next few months, okay. I would say. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I, this is something I get constantly asked, too, is, like, uh, I, I'm helping out somebody, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, let's get an issue on this. And they're like, how soon do you think this issue will get done? I'm like, man, it's open source. Like, <laughs> never know. <laughs> but uh, You yeah, contribute the fix, to... then this goes faster, right? If you get the fix, well, yeah, we'll get that in. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it should be in the next few months. It's uh, we actually did some experiments with it already. We okay. just need to open source. Very cool. Very cool. I have a I have a related yet to be determined date question to Chang. Um, I just noticed that Apache uh, Pinot is incubating still. Right, right. It is incubating. We are um, uh, working on the graduation. Yeah, so no ETA yet. <laughs> uh, I think it will be very soon. Uh, awesome. it, uh, yeah. Uh, and apart from that, uh, uh, incubating is just a phase of like uh, Apache. So I know it's uh, just yeah. ticking all the boxes that Apache needs, but it's a long process. I know we talked last time with the Superset folk, and they were very happy when they got through it. And like 
well graduated <laughs> and stuff. That, I'm, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll be uh, celebrating too once it's done. That's definitely worth uh, a bottle of pain though. Probably too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, Elon, did you have anything else you wanted to share with us uh, about uh, the connector at all? Or, or Zhang, do you want to have any, have any other thing you wanted to cover before I move on to the demo? It's going to be a very short demo. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. All right, great. So uh, let's get on to a little bit of a demo. Let me just clear out all the junkity junk I've typed before. Um, and then I need to move. So, uh, so basically I've, I've pulled together, it's, it's a ridiculously simple, like a uh, demo that I've modified from, uh, what's on the, uh, Pino website, um, for, for listeners, uh, who want to, to dive into this, uh, afterwards, I have a little, uh, repository called Trino getting started that I'm putting together. Uh, it's very much like under construction, like I'm, I'm forced pushing to it. So like, just copy the code down for now and don't actually expect to like fork off and do things with it yet. Uh, but, but if you want to play around with Pino a little bit, uh, and just like a little Docker environment, uh, I have a, a starting to work, uh, Docker compose, uh, image that you can pull there. And so, uh, just so look in the show notes, uh, and, and, uh, go ahead and clone this, um, down or even just download it temporarily. And then just change directory into Pino, uh, Trino Pino, and that's what I'm actually about ready to get to uh, get ready to do. So we want uh, Trino getting started, and we'll go into Pino and then Trino Pino. Okay, so once you're into the Pino Trino Pino uh, uh, location. Uh, we want to uh, start up Docker. So I've actually already done that beforehand, just in case it took a minute. Um, and then once you start up Docker, uh, by the way, there is still a, a trick that I'm, or a, an issue with uh, Zookeeper that I'm working out uh, there. I was not able to get it fixed before the show, but if uh, Zookeeper doesn't start up soon enough, then you'll have like two of the other containers fail. You just need to uh, run Docker Compose up one second time, and then it'll be up uh, for good. So, uh, so what we're basically going to do is we're going to take this, this path, uh, here. If you look at the architecture diagram, where we're just basically ingesting raw data, uh, and putting it into a segment and, and automatically storing it as an offline, uh, set of data that, uh, that, uh, Pino can search over. So, um, so we'll, we'll store our raw data on a local file system, which is just going to be in a, my temp directory under temp Pino quick start, and then raw data. And then we're going to basically push the uh, um, uh, CSV file uh, into uh, under raw data under transcript.csv. So we go ahead and do that. And then uh, we, in order for Pino to understand uh, the CSV schema and stuff, we're gonna have to add uh, explicitly a schema uh, for, um, uh, for Pino to basically make sense of those different columns and uh, as well as just, I'm sure it uses again some smarts uh, on on uh, understanding like the the different fields and the different columns. So we'll go ahead and add that schema. Again, all this is just copying and pasting like this echo statement where it basically just pushes this out into a little file that we're going to end up using in a uh, an Atrino command here shortly. And the last thing that we need is a is a table definition. So this is just going to basically say you know use this schema, use this. Uh, a uh, particular uh, uh, index, and, and here's the basic configuration, uh, and then the table name, things like that, uh, and what's the timestamp column as well. So we, we then uh, create the table definition, 
And once you've got those three files, uh, you, you run what's called like an add table command uh, using this ingestion uh, framework. And that's done through a Docker uh, exec uh, call. And that's going to run over the, uh, the Trino network that I'm uh, against the Trino network here so that I can actually uh, run this against, I believe it's the, I'm running this against who? The server itself, the offline server, I imagine. Um, so let me go ahead and do that. And actually right now I can go into this nice little uh, web UI that uh, Pino serves up at port 9000. And now I can actually see uh, all the, uh, I have a couple um, uh, controllers, brokers, servers, uh, and then um, and then I can actually look at, I've created one table. And so it's showing me the offline table that I just created, but uh, there's currently no segments and no data sitting in this. So if I go to the query uh, console right now, uh, I'm gonna basically just get, uh, I click on transcript table, I'm gonna get no data back, right? Uh, expected. And so now I need to actually write that data into a, a particular segment. So let me go back. And we need to uh, take this job spec. This one was interesting getting working correctly in an echo statement. So let's see if uh, this fails. <laughs> All right. Well, at least it wrote. So that was one good thing. Uh, and then we're now that we have this job spec, what basically this is doing is uh, it's going out to particular uh, classes that will be able to understand uh, the uh, basically pull in the CSV file that we wrote there, that uh, transcript file and uh, output it to uh, a, a same location, but basically uh, output a segment on my local file system. And that's what Pino is actually gonna be using to, uh, to um, as, as uh, Jang said before, it's using this local file system, using this, uh, all these fancy indexes that uh, get spit out in, under this particular directory. So that's all that's happening here. And uh, now that we have that uh, ingestion uh, job defined, We'll go ahead and actually run that ingestion job using yet again another docker run command. And hopefully it works. I have to say the Pino uh, web UI is pretty, looks pretty powerful. Oh, it's, it's pretty neat. And everything, it's very nice. Yeah. They have, like, I, I didn't even get in, but they have a Swagger REST API set up. So if you want to play around with like the REST API and stuff, uh, I'm not going to jump into it because it's a bit tangential and we're running out of time. But uh, you can, you know, if, if you've used Swagger before, you can basically like just input uh, the different values and then it automatically creates your uh, your REST call and all this stuff. So it's really nice. And you also have a Zookeeper browser. You can go ahead and like uh, look at all the different uh, um, uh, Zookeeper nodes and stuff that have been created. So uh, see if everything's uh, being set up correctly. So anyways, uh, so now that we've run this, what's happened now is uh, we should see one segment that has been created under that table. Uh, not, wait, no. Well, we're gonna see data here in a second. Where am I, where am I trying to go? Uh, it's under tables. There we go. Now there's a segment here. So we, uh, we see that there's a segment, there should be some data uh, sitting in there. And by the way, if it's not clear, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but segment is literally just like, in other words, like a partition or, or just basically where the data gets written to. Um, so now when we pull this data out, boom, we see all that uh, um, uh, data coming up. 
and and Pinot. Now the next question is: We also have a little local uh, Pinot uh, running from Trino coordinator here. So uh, same same kind of thing. Like you can you could pull up uh, our little web UI. So oops, P the Trino web UI uh, and log in. And basically, you know, look at uh, any queries being ran. Uh, but uh, now we can actually pull up. I'm going to pull up dBeaver. That's going to connect to uh, Trino here. Let me make sure to refresh that. And we have a Pinot uh, catalog here. And uh, didn't specify a schema. So we have that now that showing the uh, transcript values. And we pull up data. Uh-oh. Uh server... Refused connection. Um, it's probably some strange Docker mapping bug. I had this, I literally had this working earlier. What's going on here? Okay, well, I'm not, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Timing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, so now we also got, get the same thing showing up in Trino. Um, but yeah, and, and that's, I mean, nothing mind blowing, but it's just to kind of uh, highlight the, the work that Elon's been doing, uh, getting, this, um, getting this set up. So uh, I wanted to go back to the actual, uh, here we go. So this is, uh, you know, the, the PR of the week, by the way, is uh, the initial uh, ad Pino connector. So that's basically all we wanted to showcase here and just basically have a, a simple run through. If you're wanting to try Pino out for yourself and, and as, uh, along with uh, Trino, there's a quick little Docker Compose setup that you can do there and, uh, and pull that up and start uh, playing around with all the different configurations and stuff. So, uh, so again... Uh, thanks a lot to uh, Zhang and, and Elon. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, on, on this. And I, I hope uh, uh, everybody out there who is either coming in here from the Pino side learns a little bit about, you know, why you'd want to use Trino and vice versa. If you're, you know, one of our uh, Trino tree nights, <laughs> I still got to figure yeah. out a good word for our community. But uh, yeah, for our Trino folks, uh, <laughs> uh, I hope you found uh, why uh, Pino is just such a useful part of an architecture and just adds that uh uh, more value to uh, your your kind of historical data as well as just bringing your BI and and uh, anomaly detection stuff to life. So uh, anything else you you want to add, Jing or or Elon, before we hop off? Uh, how how do people get in in uh, contact with you if they want to uh, um, uh, learn more about Pino? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, at Pino, we have a, a Slack community. Uh, basically, you can you can join uh, Apache Pino uh, Slack community. I will put the link there. And apart from that, uh, uh, on Meetup, we'll have an intro to Apache Pino session uh, next week. I think it's uh, next Thursday, March 20, uh, 25th. So that will be a good uh, like introduction to Pino if you want to start from there. And we also have like many, uh, since Pino is the Apache project, so uh, there are like enough uh, documentations and website you can just uh, probably Google for. Um, but in short, it's like, Pino.apache.org. Yeah. And uh, yeah, please definitely join Apache uh, Pino Slack. So that, uh, at there, you can ask any questions. And uh, uh, also, if you have any problem, you can just uh, uh, ask on, on the channel. Yeah. Um, real quick, Jang, is that is that meetup? Yeah. Uh, is that on meetup.com? Is that one yes, of those? It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, meetup.com. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll share the link. Sure. And I'll, I'll go ahead and put that in the show notes uh, whenever, whenever okay. we're done there. Great. Uh, and yeah, that, if you ever have questions, just CC. I'm on both uh, Trino and Pino Slack, so 
if you have any questions, just see, put my name and I'll respond before the next election. Yeah. And definitely find him on Twitter. He's very active on Twitter. <laughs> um, and that actually reminds me real fast. I was supposed to talk about this. So we are actually uh, getting back into our Trino meetup groups as well. We have a couple uh, spread across uh, the land, but since we basically bought these right before uh, the COVID times. And now we haven't really done much with them except for kind of uh, advertise a couple uh, virtual meetups. Uh, with that, we are trying to get uh, virtual meetups uh, as a continuing thing that will happen even after we're, we're able to do face-to-face -face again. Uh, and this is uh, going to eventually be just divided by time zones so that if you're not in one of these like kind of uh, local areas that we're trying to build out, um, that we can essentially, uh, you'll still be able to engage with, uh, with folks and, uh, that are at least in the same time zone as you. So, so more, uh, stay tuned for that. We're going to be having more of that on the Trino site itself, but for now I've, I've, I've added those to the, the, the show notes for now as well. Um, so, so thanks for reminding me about that. Um, and, uh, Mark, uh, Manfred, do you want to, uh, mention anything before we hop off? Yeah. One last thing, uh, I wanted to mention two little things. First of all, uh, Trino support arrived in a redash now. So the PR for that was merged. So any Sweet. redash users, go try it out. You can uh, now easily connect to Trino with redash. That's really awesome. Um, and the other cool thing that's on the Trino blog is there's a blog post from Kasia Findeisen mm. um, that goes really in depth about some of the new features that we added to window functions and stuff for that. If you want to geek out on some SQL dialect usage, check that out for sure for sure awesome stuff all right well uh last thing i gotta mention music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by christoph slawikowski and that is the trino community broadcast for today i'll see you all in, a, in about two weeks <laughs>